Hey, hey, welcome to uh, Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. It's the 15th of June, 2022. It's been pretty warm today. Very warm, in fact. Thanks for your company. On today's show, I'll be taking your telephone calls and your Skype calls as well. I'll give you all the details in a moment. I look forward to hearing from you. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. And if you don't fancy talking to me, you can leave a message, a comment or whatever through richieallen.co.uk. Comment live is a good way to talk to me as well. Wednesday's programme, the next few days, promising to be very warm here in the UK. It's been uh, pretty warm today, so it has, as I've already said, let's not dwell on the weather. Let's not do that at all. I suppose the best thing to do is to give you the contact details for the programme. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Not now. Shut up, shut up. Get down. Down, I said. I'll tell you when. It'll be 15 or 20 minutes. It'll be sooner than we normally do it. I didn't, we didn't have one last week. It only occurred to me yesterday. So we'll, we'll have a good old chinwag today. Entertain me, dear listener. You know, share opinions with me that titivate me, that inspire me. That's what I want to hear today. Ladies, let's hear from some ladies as well. Let's get some representation on the programme this afternoon. So what sort of a day did you have? I've had a fair to middling day myself. I went to the doctor this morning, as so I did. She said, Richie, I've got some bad news. I said, hit me with it, doc. Hit me with it. She said, I'm afraid you're going to have to stop masturbating. I said, I don't understand, doc. Why? She said, because I'm trying to examine you, Richie. You're always at it. Stop. Anyway, feeling rather amorous after being examined by my beautiful doctor... After I left, I popped into the pharmacy to buy some condoms. The cashier asked me if I'd like a bag. I said, no, I'll just switch the lights off. That's what we normally do. And then just before I came back to produce the programme, I popped around the local sperm bank to make a few quid needs must. Times are tough. The electricity bills are skyrocketing. Uh, The nurse asked me if I'd like to, well, if I'd like to masturbate in the cup. I said, I'm good nurse, but I'm not sure I'm ready for competition just yet. What kind of fuckery is this? Garbage. There's no future career in stand-up for me, not if I'm stealing other people's gags anyway. Yeah, 0161818 Chat with Richie is the Skype handle. I look forward to speaking with you today. Now, the Rwanda flight that was due to take off yesterday (laughs) was grounded by the European Court of Human Rights. It gave a last-minute ruling preventing the departure of a plane carrying asylum seekers to Rwanda. Is that how you say Rwanda? R-W-A-N-D-A. Rwanda. It's Rwanda. That's how you say it. I'm reliably told or informed. 
So you know this now, this has caused ructions on social media and between the political parties, the government's decision to send asylum seekers off to Rwanda to be processed. Uh, the government says it will it will dissuade, it will put off uh, illegal immigrants from coming over on dodgy rubber dinghies. If they, if they know they won't be processed in the UK, that they'll be sent to Rwanda, they might not get on the dinghies. So you'll know that the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats and the Twitterati have said this is inhumane, it's disgusting, it's immoral and all of that jazz. It might be. I don't care anymore. Because it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Why are you telling us then, Baldy? That's a good question. Well put. Well put, by the way. I am because um, you have to laugh at some of the talk the, the talk radio phone-ins. Not talk radio itself now, the station-like, but uh, the talk radio channels, the general ones around the UK. It's very funny, the ignorance of people. <laughs> people screaming about, I thought we'd left the European Union. I thought we'd left the European Union. This is a betrayal. How can the European Court of Human Rights stop the plane flying to Rwanda? And all of that. The ignoramai. Is ignoramai the plural of ignoramuses? Of ignoramus, is it? I don't know. The European Court of Human Rights has got nothing to do with the European Union. You know? Even, I don't know. Even, I'm trying to think of somebody known for their stupidity in the UK. I can't think of anyone off of hand. But uh, it isn't a European Union institution, you see, the European Court of Human Rights. It was set up a long time ago. Actually, it was set up, or at least it was discussed just before the end of the Second World War. It came into existence after the Second World War, but it was proposed by Winston Churchill uh, in 1943. He said, we need a Council of Europe. Because Winston Churchill was an insider, you see. An insider. Yes, he was shilling for the agenda back, well, way back before the Second World War. So he proposed the Council of Europe so that we'd never again see the sorts of horrors that allowed the Nazis to take over Germany and then impose fascism across the continent. Now Winston Churchill knew that Nazism was evil. He knew that Jews were being rounded up and forced into camps where many of them were murdered. But he also knew that this was largely supported by some of the biggest petrochemical corporations in the world who wanted to... Well, they wanted Hitler to succeed in his Second World War endeavours so that they could control the resources of Europe by controlling Hitler, in effect. So Winston Churchill knew this. Right Now, they failed to uh, succeed with, uh, with Hitler. So out of that came what we know today as the European Union. Little history lesson for you. It's all true. If you're new to the programme, it may sound very shocking, that. But it's true. Hitler was an elite puppet, just as much as any prime minister you care to name today. That sounds horrifying because prime ministers that you might name today weren't getting up to some of the things that the Nazis were getting up to, but they are facilitating a future world where it will be pretty Nazi-esque. Hence the comparison. So this goes way back, this European Court of Human Rights and the European uh, Council, the Council of Europe, I should say. And it's all about, of course, concentrating power into a, 
into the hands of the very, very few at the expense of the very, very many. So one of the very first things the European Council, uh, the European Court of Human Rights, I should say, did for the European Council and then the European Court was establish a document that set out the rights that people should enjoy in this new Europe, the European Convention of Human Rights. Wasn't much use to anybody over the last couple of years, was it? When people's human rights were ripped up into tiny shreds and people were forced to commit crimes against themselves, really. Not crimes against themselves, but they were, they were forced to take actions that had terrible consequences for themselves and their families. Lockdowns and stuff. Not seeing the loved, the beloved senior relatives as they expired in care homes. All you would have imagined anti-human rights stuff, but the uh, European Court of Human Rights was nowhere to be seen because it's got nothing to do with justice. So just in case you didn't know that, a lot of people, even presumably some listeners to this programme, screaming bloody murder about, we never really left the European Union. Uh, you're right, we haven't really left the European Union, but the European Court of Human Rights got nothing to do with the European Union. Uh, the only European countries not in it are Russia, Belarus and the Vatican. Uh, Russia was a member until it invaded Ukraine and then it was kicked out. That, basically, dear listener, is a Clift's notes. Is it Clift? I can never, I never pronounce that right. Kind of a look at the European Court of Human Rights. Off the top of my head, if I made a tiny mistake here or there, please forgive me, for I know not what I do. I watched a little bit of a film called What is a Woman, which was made by The Daily Wire, I think. Uh, I know it was presented by a guy called Matt Walsh, who I don't know much about other than he's a darling of conservatives in the United States and he's had a lot to say about transgender people in recent years. So I watched a bit of it. I have to say it's predictable and fairly boring. Nothing new in it. You might be surprised to hear me say that. Nothing new in it that we haven't heard before about gender identity or identity politics. Some One or two interesting bits, interviews that were mildly amusing, but uh, you won't learn anything new by watching it. Uh, some of those who appeared in it have claimed that Walsh got them on camera under false pretenses or false pretenses. That wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying that I know that's true. I don't know that's true. But it wouldn't surprise me documentary filmmakers are always doing that. When they want to embarrass someone on camera, they don't exactly tell them beforehand, I'm going to try and embarrass you on camera. They usually tell them something like, well, I'm making a cerebral film, a kind of a highbrow film about trans identity and stuff like that. I'd like you to come on and, and, and have your say. It's usually what they do. You don't think that Borat's people or Sasha Baron Cohen's people are up front with people. Well, I suppose that's a different thing entirely. Yeah, OK. OK, I hear you. I hear you. Speaking of the trans stuff over in Dublin, Bolly Ireland's capital, the capital of Ireland, Dublin Pride, which runs Pride events in Dublin. Now, why are we still, I've said this a thousand times, why is Pride still a thing? Why do gays and lesbians need to go out any more onto the streets during the month of June or a weekend in that month to tell us all they're gay and they're proud of it? Why? Like I said before, I understood this when gay people were subject, subjected to the most vicious, you know, 
discrimination and subject to criminal violent attacks. It was definitely necessary then. And I have to say, I've said this before, I think you, you'd probably agree with me. I would have been happy if I'd have grown up in the 50s. I'd have been happy to march in the late 70s and early 80s alongside my gay brethren and sistern because there was a genuine problem. Anyway, look, let's leave it there. I've said it too many bloody times. But Dublin Pride has fallen out with the Irish state broadcaster RTE. And as something of a media commentator and as a journalist myself, I'm very interested in this. So Dublin Pride has said that it's terminating its media partnership with RTE, that's Radio Telefiche Aaron, the Irish national broadcaster, because it's angered and disappointed by recent discussions about the transgender community, there's that fucking word again, community, right, on the Liveline radio programme. Liveline has been going for a long time. Marion Finucane used to do it one time, did she? It's Joe Duffy now, or is that, is that two different programmes? I think it's Joe Duffy now anyway. So I haven't heard any of these programmes, but I am I am reliably informed by the Irish Times and the Irish Independent and by RTE that last week, over the course of the week, listeners were phoning in to the Irish radio programme Liveline to stick their oar in, to opine, to give an opinion on the trans debate, for want of a better way of putting it. And Dublin Pride is not happy at all, okay? So it's said that it has worked over the past three years to increase positive representation of LGBTQ plus people on television, radio and the internet. And to see the good work of so many people undone is saddening in the extreme and negates much of the efforts made to date. So it then, it, it then talked about the Joe Duffy programme and said it breaches trust with our community and causes untold hurt. Now, you won't be surprised to learn that Dublin Pride hasn't, um, they never do, Dublin Pride hasn't said specifically, hasn't quoted anything that was said on the Joe Duffy show by way of explaining why they're so hurt about it. They haven't given any examples. That's very familiar, that, isn't it? Mr. Allen, your PayPal account has been terminated because you're in breach of our regulations. Which ones? Well, we're not telling you. YouTube, Mr. Allen, we're closing down your account and you can't upload ever again because you're in, in violation of community guidelines. Which, which ones? We're not telling you. You have to imagine which ones. So, so Dublin Pride is not saying what exactly was said on the Joe Duffy show, but it's uh, terminating its partnership with RTE, saying that RTE has stoked the flames of anti-trans rhetoric. Angered and disappointed. God love them. And it gets worse. Now, the Irish government has its committees, the Irish Eroctus, the parliament in, in, in Ireland, has its own committees just like they have committees here in the UK, parliamentary committees, you know. And they have a media and culture committee, which, 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 which is just like the media and culture committee that exists in Westminster. And amazingly enough, the Eroctus Media and Culture Committee, politicians now, has summoned RTE to come and be interviewed and castigated and chastised by politicians uh, to explain 
why it has offended and why it has put the noses of the Dublin Pride people out of joint. This is a fact now. TDs, that's basically elected officials like MPs, Choctadolas, they're known as. They're known as members of parliament in the UK. And senators have uh, said that RTE bosses will have to come before the committee to explain why it's offended the so-called transgender community. And this is insanity, isn't it? Isn't it? And it's also incredibly dangerous, isn't it? So people rang into a live radio show. Presumably some of them said the trans women are not women, which, which is true. Uh, it's a fact. Presumably some of them said that men who believe they're women shouldn't automatically be of the notion that they can just invade or enter or walk into a space that has been exclusively reserved for women. They shouldn't assume they have that right. They should at least ask permission. And if they're told, no, fuck off, they should accept it. So presumably people said those types of things. And now for allowing that discussion, the national broadcaster is going to be invited to explain itself before a parliamentary committee. That is incredible to me. We'll leave that one there for now. And this is interesting. This is from the BBC today. A digital news report has said that depressing stories are turning more people off the media. An increasing number of people are turning away from the news because it lowers their mood, according to new research. The Reuters Institute's digital news report suggests that almost 4 in 10 people say they often or sometimes avoid the news. And that's uh, up from 29% in 2017. So 4 in 10 is like 38%. It's jumped from 29% in 2017. People saying they often or sometimes avoid the news. Uh, The report found the number of people avoiding news over the past five years doubled in the UK, 46%, and doubled uh, in Brazil, um, it's now at 54%. And 36% of people, particularly those under 35, said the news had affected their mood. They, they cited factors like the COVID-19 pandemic. That's thought to have contributed to the increase in people avoiding news bulletins. Um, nearly half of those who took part in the global survey, 43%, said they were put off by the repetitiveness of the news agenda, specifically too much politics and COVID-19 coverage. And this is interesting. Misinformation is an issue, according to Reuters. Trust is an issue too. 29% of those surveyed, so nearly 3 in 10, said the news was untrustworthy or biased. Trust has fell uh, in half the country surveyed, and it only rose in around 7 compared with last year's younger people saying that the news is depressing them and turning them off to the point where uh, they don't want to watch it or to listen to it. How interesting. Back with another story in a moment. Remember, in about 10 minutes' time, I'll be taking your phone calls. The details are at the very top. If you go to comment live on richieallen.co.uk, if you go to comment live, it is pinned to the top of the page. There is a meme there with the Skype details and the phone number, but here they are anyway. 
it's your call. Skype, chat with Richie, or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. This is the Jacksons, or the Jackson 5. I think they were the Jackson 5 when they recorded this. It is I Want You Back. This is your Richie Allen Show. It's Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. I'm the BBG, broadcasting live from BBG Towers. It's fabulous to be with you. It always is. Back in three minutes. Yeah, the Jackson 5 had a rake of number ones in a row after they launched. That's a wonderful Irish saying that they had a rake of them. That means they had lots of rakes. They had a rake of number ones by... The Jacksons, I want you back. This story amused me today because we've seen this in our own countries. In Hong Kong, they're publishing new school books which will state for children reading these new school books, history books, that the territory was never a colony of Britain. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to give books to kids that just absolutely airbrushes out of history. British involvement in Hong Kong which is a bit silly and, again, a bit dangerous and a bit sinister, isn't it? Regardless of what you might think about the British Empire. But that, you know, makes me think of the bullshit that we were taught in schools, you know. Remember that story we were, we were taught in schools about the potato famine, about the blight, and that the poor Irish Egypts all starved just because of the potato. Remember that? Yeah, right. Dry that one out, you can fertilise the lawn. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, history. Right, before um, we move on, I wanted to talk about two very quick stories. Well, one story. I found it interesting because, you know, I'm a bit of a, a bit of an old socialist, an old lefty, an old leftover from, I don't know. I don't know. I'm searching. I'm frantically searching my mind for a, for a phrase. But I'm an, old, um, I'm an old lefty. So you wouldn't imagine me having a lot of sympathy with the owners of houses, people who let houses. But I'm, a, you know, I'm nothing if I'm not, um, you know, prepared to see an issue from, multi, from, from multi, multiple perspectives. That's the one, multiple per- per- perspectives, if I can say it. The government is publishing a bill called the Renters' Reform Bill this week, which seeks to abolish no-fault evictions. That's a good thing. You know, if somebody's paying their rent and they're up to date with their rent and they're they're keeping a house in good order, the landlord shouldn't be, or landlady, shouldn't be able to boot them out very, very quickly. There's got to be a bit of a grace period. I'm sure there is one enshrined in law anyway. You know, but there's got to be some period that gives the tenant ample time, ample time to, uh, to get themselves sorted out. I don't know, you might want to message me through the website your your thoughts on that but um pets are going to be allowed it's going to be it's going to be a fact landlords will not be allowed to ban pets if uh, tenants have pets or if a tenant wants to have a pet landlords won't get to say no anymore as part of this new renters reform bill and i have pets or we have pets and I'm not thrilled about this, to be honest. This is, again, these are, I think these are small things that lead to big things. You know, the state encroaching into areas, the state sticking its big, ugly, 
boots into areas that really it shouldn't stick its big, ugly boots into. We lived in London and we had our German shepherd, Jazz, may God have mercy on her soul. And we needed to come to Manchester. Well, we, we, I wanted to come to Manchester and I persuaded the oft-mentioned El Frogo to come with me. And we were in Manchester, in, in London even, in June of 2014. And I said, look, I'm going to go up on the train and I'm going to try and locate a suitable property for us to rent. It was difficult because most landlords and ladies said, no, thank you very much. We're not having the dog. And that was very stressful. Now, in the end, um, at the last minute, we met a guy called Darren and he had a property in Fallowfield, which was lovely, nice and big and roomy, nice leafy Fallowfield. And he wasn't thrilled about the dog, but I think he'd wanted to rent his property to students, but he was running out of time in terms of that, you know, he was missing the window where you could get a student or several students to rent. Nice fella with, 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 with Irish heritage. And he was like, yeah, I'm really, I never rent. I hate dogs, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, this is where I don't like the state getting involved. I said, listen, if you'd like, I'll give you a little bit more, not a lot more now, because I didn't have much. I'll give you a little bit more in terms of the deposit. Or I will sign a tenancy agreement that for, for the first three or even the first six months allows you to come and check on the property to check that the place hasn't been torn asunder by the adult German Shepherd dog. And that it doesn't smell like a dog shelter kind of a thing. And um, if, you're all, if you're happy, then we're all happy and we'll carry on. To be fair to me, he said, right, look, I'll take an extra couple of hundred quid in terms of a deposit. If you don't mind, I don't like dogs. And that was that. We lived there with, uh, with Jazz. And that was that. Um, I'm a dog lover. Uh, I'm I'm a genuine, a real socialist. There's about two of us left in the world, really. I don't like the idea of wealthy people buying up lots of properties and then renting them out at extortionate rates. I don't like that. But listen, we live in a free market economy or free. We live in a capitalist society. And that's the way it is. Those are the rules. I didn't make them, but I can't whinge about them. People are free to buy properties and let, let them out to people. Fair enough. So, you, you know, you have to... You, that's the way it is. I don't like the idea of government saying that landlords have to have tenants with pets, whether they like it or not. I don't like that. So that's a nuanced one, that. You can share your opinions via richieallen.co.uk on that particular issue or any issue you like. It is Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. Was there anything else I wanted to get into before moving on? I've had a difficult afternoon. Forget that stupid gag I made about the doctor earlier on. I've had a dose of the trots all afternoon. I hope you're not eating your dinner. I've really made it a low-brow show today. What's that I hear you say? Today? All right, shut your cake hole. But I have. I've had a horrible case of it. I had an ice cream, you see, after my dinner. I don't always have ice cream. I think the ice cream has done it to me. So, um, yeah, I've, it's not been great. I'm okay now. I'm hanging in there. Loads of fluids and all the rest of it. Before I take one more tune so I can open up the phone calls and stuff, here are the details again. But remember, Rog, I think, has put them on the Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash Richie. 
there is a meme with the contact details, but I've also posted them to richieallen.co.uk, comment live. So if you go to comment live, the details are pinned to the top of the shred, but here, Jesus, they're pinned to the top of the thread, but here they are anyway. It's your call, Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Now, my horrendously bad gags has, have, have even prompted one or two of you to share your own really bad gags. I think I saw something from my pal Dean Smith there a moment ago, if I can just bring it up. Where's my producer? Dean says, evening, Richie. Evening, everyone. He went, I went to the doctor today also, he says. I started sweating at the fuel pump and then I felt like I was going to puke when I went to pay for it. Turns out I've got coronavirus. Yes, Dean. Yes. (laughs) That's my type of gag. Crap, but it makes me laugh. That's all that matters. Nothing else matters. What else have I got there for you? What else have I got? I've got uh, Sven who's winged in. How is Sven? Right. And Word Whisperer enjoyed hearing Michael Rachia on last night's programme. Thank you very much, Word Whisperer. This is your Richie Allen show. I'm taking your calls in exactly three and a half minutes' time. It's the BBG, not the BBC. Jackson Brown running on MT, the Richie Allen Show, Wednesday, 25 minutes to six. Top man, Jackson Brown. The contact details then once more. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Let's welcome Paul to the program. Hello, Paul. Hello. Am I speaking to you? You're speaking to me. (laughs) Paul, you are live to the nation. Please do not swear. I'm only kidding. You're not live to the nation. Do you know, I just saw something. You reached out to me previously and you said to me that you've got a very interesting job what is it i am a british sign language interpreter fantastic now when you say british sign language what does that mean well basically uh, people think sign languages are the same all the way around the world and british sign language is uh unique to the uk um similar countries like australia new zealand they use a two-handed alphabet everyone else pretty much uses a one-handed one and there are tons and tons of variations in signs. Do you know what? That uh, sounds like I actually, that sounds like I, for once in my life, asked an intelligent question. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. So it's different wherever you happen to be in the world. And tell me, yeah. why did you learn? Was mum or dad deaf or brother or sister or friend? 
Yeah, I've grew up. Um, that uh, you might have heard of a film that's been out called Coda. That's Child of Deaf Adults, yeah. and that's made a bit of a splash in the cinemas. It's American, but um, yeah, I grew up in a deaf family. Um, my mum, bless her, is still alive, but got dementia and can't communicate. She's got locked-in syndrome. My dad died of cancer seven years ago. Um, but my brother and my mum still live next door in the house next door, and um, yeah, we, I I, uh, I do it for a living. I, I changed careers years ago. Um, I used to be a business development manager for a publishing company in the IT world. They made me redundant. I was really peed off and depressed. And my mum and dad, when they were alive, said, why didn't you become an interpreter? So I, I changed career about 15 years ago, never looked back. Brilliant. We didn't see you standing behind Tweedledum and Tweedledee, Witty and Valance at Downing Street, did we, two years ago? <laughs> Put it this way, if I ever got close enough to him, you would have known about it. It would have been worse than that Mandela South African bloke them years ago. I would have been doing a lot more than he did. You'd have been telling the truth using using the uh, the skill of signing. And how important was it during the the lockdown that your brother and your mum were were next door? Did you think to yourself, there but for the grace of God, because there are relatives, I'm sure your friends have relatives who have dementia and might be in care and they couldn't get to see him. It was important for you, I guess, that mum was next door, right? Well, yes, it was, but this is the quandary. This might sound a bit mercenary and horrible, but um, my mum's been like this. She started going downhill before my dad died and um, she's got to a stage where she has got the equivalent of, say, locked-in syndrome. So she'll look at you with these glazed um, eyes. Um, You don't know if she's taken on board what you're trying to say to her. She can't. Her her wrists are all crooked up and uh, because she's been in bed for so long, all her muscles are wasted away. So she has no quality of life. So um, I'm going to say this out loud loud, because it's the Richie Allen show. But for me, it, it would be the merciful thing for her to be taken and um she's uh she's still going you know um she's 80 this year um her mum um was 92 before she died in the care home and uh yeah i I just wish she'd hurry up and go and the irony is um again i'm just coming out with some personal stuff um my brother and i both got power of attorney my brother got her jabbed without telling me and himself jabbed and uh it didn't kill her um, I I haven't been, um, or, or haven't even been swabbed. So it was quite ironic that the very thing that would have mercifully taken her away from us didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> and have you? And, and this, and I understand. Uh, look, I've not been in your situation, but I can understand why someone might say, you know, if 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 she would, you know, slip away now in her sleep, it it, it, it would be, be the best thing because she doesn't have that that quality of life. Did, nah. Was there any tension between you and your brother when, when you found out about the job? Uh, well, a bit. It was, I mean, it was a fait accompli. And I, I, I said to him, you ever do that again? You know, because we both have equal power of attorney. So, you know, and the other thing, um, because my mum and dad own their house, um, my mum's got carers coming in three, four times a day. It's costing over three grand a month out of her pocket. So all my dad's inheritance and all the stuff we saved and, you know, did for them to end up having a house in the first place gone and then uh, i'm not sure but if it gets to a certain stage the oldest bollocks about oh the tories we won't you will never have to pay more than this and that whatever bollocks lies yeah uh, uh sorry i swore on the on that's the, uh, okay but, um, no you're right they're, they make, they're telling the, lies the council 
if she was in a care home, um, they could have forced the sale of her, of her house to pay for her care because she's being cared for at home and carers are coming in. As long as she's paying, she's all right. But the same thing could potentially happen once that dries up and it's just the house and she's got no money left. They can uh, they can potentially put a charge on the house and, you know, all, all this. But parents were council house tenants until um, 30 years ago. It was only because my dad got made redundant and got some money and the house next door became available that they ended up moving next door, which is fantastic. They were great grandparents. Uh, my kids were all grown up. It was lovely having the two families side by side. Um but here we are, you know, I, I never lived my life thinking, oh, yeah, one day I'll get an inheritance for my mum and dad because they're always council tenants. And, you know, we just did what we did, got married and got our jobs and bought our own house. And l- luckily, we had that wonderful time where my parents were next door and my kids learned a bit of sign language. And so it, it was lovely. It was lovely. But, it's very you know, wrong. The, 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 idea, the idea that the house could be sold to pay for her continuing care visits is terribly wrong. The the welfare state was was founded on the principle that if you pay into it, as your mum and dad did, that you don't have to worry about that when you can't look after yourself. You don't have to worry about the expense of it. It should be covered that, by the state. Yeah, End of that's story. true. And the, the, the other thing, sorry to interrupt, but no, there was a, there's a thing called continuing health care. Right? My mum has had to go into hospital for... Um, you know, urinary tract infections and stuff. And they've had to organise, make sure that there's care when she comes out, all that nonsense. But she's been assessed twice now for continuing health care where the NHS would take responsibility for her care. But because most of it is uh, social care, you know, cleaning her up, feeding her, hoisting her out of bed, blah, 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 and it's not that really medical, um, they say, no, no, she she, she doesn't qualify for, for that because it's got to be that you're you know, uh, being nursed 24-7 kind of thing. So we've we've, we've tried it twice. Um, even a social worker said to my brother recently, you know what, your mum should be entitled to this. And it's a lottery. It depends on who assesses you and all this stuff. I've been through it twice. It's a long, heavy process. We're going to go for it again because um, we're at the stage now where, you know, mum's money's pretty much gone and uh, – we, we, we don't know where we stand. So we're, we're having to go through a lot of this nonsense and try and persuade social workers and help NHS to come out and do another assessment. And They changed it a few years ago um, so that it became an even bigger hoop to jump through. So they, they you know, they don't want to save money. They don't want to be um, paying um, the care costs for my mum. And if she's got a house, they'll just say, well, sod it. We'll just take the house and she can pay for it until she dies. So that's the attitude of the system. Um, so yeah, the thing, uh, these are the things that are going on around the country that people like me wouldn't be aware of. You'd never give a a moment's thought to this type of thing going on. And I imagine after the nonsense of of the pandemic, they've lost a lot of care staff as well. Um, they're 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 seriously backlogged in hospitals and in care homes. So it's everything is teetering kind of on the edge of collapse because I'm getting backed up a lot with calls, Paul, what did, yeah, was yeah. that what you wanted to talk about? Was there something else you wanted to say? What, 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 well, did you I suppose, on? you know, I hadn't, obviously you spotted that I was a sign language interpreter because I mentioned it, which is great. The reason I sort of came on, you know, um, three years ago, well, March, you know, 2020, when I first, um, this all, all this nonsense started, um, I was a bit suspicious. Um, I, I, I had, I was furloughed because my deaf clients were furloughed and, I, and I'm self-employed. So I, I, I had no, money but i got the size grants so i had tons and tons of time on my hands and i speed read anyway to 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 look at stuff you know uh, articles um medical uh, papers all that stuff 
and my family, my, my son and my, my, my wife were thinking at that time, you're, you're mad, you're cracking up, you're, you're having a breakdown. You know? And slowly, slowly they came round and uh, it's just, I've got to the stage now where there's no point um, reading all these articles and these papers because we know the score. And I think one of the things I, I wanted to say is that I'm trying to look at um, the, the sovereign law side of things, learning about how you take on um, the principles of this legalese horrible system and use their laws against them and do notices and affidavits and all that stuff to get things done. And there's people that are doing, you know, not paying for their gas and electric, they're challenging the council tax, no obligation, even getting your car back from DVLA because you don't own it, you're a registered keeper, and and taking on the tax man. So these are all things that there's a, a growing, growing number of groups. And, uh, th- you know, there's some charlatans amongst them. Yeah. Uh, but some good, good people, a community of people who are trying to help each other out, um, uh, teach people the, the stuff, the methods, the processes, and and you know what you know, I you said many times going out on these marches. My wife and I did do the London ones, and it was amazing. And like you said, it's, it makes you feel better, sense of community. But you know, in legalese, the law petition petition means to beg. Pretty right? much. So you can you can do a petition, and they'll go, yeah, thank you very much, yeah, 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 and ignore it. And again, it's, so. Um, direct action, you know. Let, if, let me if, jump in, Paul. Do you know yeah, of anybody? No, no, you're not rabbiting. No, you're making perfect sense, but I've got to be devil's advocate here. Do you know yeah. of anybody who has refused to pay gas and electric and has gotten away with it and is continuing to receive gas and electric? Someone who's actually done that? Me personally, as in an acquaintance I know that I can talk to, no. But me in neither. groups, you know, I've got communities, I've got people that, you know, I, this is another mad thing. All my good friends and people that know us from years, they're kind of fallen by the wayside. Same for my wife. I've made new friends, virtual friends, if you like, where I do. I, I'm a pain in the ass because I will once someone uh, rings my bell and I think that we've got an affinity. I'll say to them, listen, let's make a, a time to have a call you know, a, a chat of an evening and talk and get to know each other. And, 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 and so, yes, through that route, I do know of people that are doing stuff successfully. I also know of people that are getting knockbacks and losing. But that process is really important because if you do lose, you learn where you went wrong, you go back, you, you do it again, and you've got a whole community of people who do know what they're doing and know what the law is to help you. So that that's one thing I'm saying. The final thing I'll say, because I know you've got to get on and go. Yeah, I'm backed up now. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last thing, I've tried to, the deaf clients I was working with, I've tried to explain to them, you know, BBC, Sky, all this stuff, the guy in the corner that's flapping his arms about for them, talking bollocks. They won't have it. You know, completely cognitive dissonance. So, uh, I feel guilty because I love the deaf community. I'm from a deaf community, and I can't do anything about it. Tiny little people who were really nah, nah, you're mad. That's rubbish. The government do that to us. Uh, little tiny little. Mm, this isn't right. So there are people starting in the deaf community who are waking up, but it's much harder because of the language barrier and the fact is there isn't. You know, all these um, video channels on YouTube and stuff. There isn't um, a sign language provision for those. And, um, you know, unless I was prepared to volunteer and do it, they haven't got any money to pay me as a professional. So what can you do? You know, so it's it's a tricky one. But, you know, we, we I, I believe we're going to come out the other side of this somehow. 
there will be little organic groups trying different things, growing your own food, lots and lots and lots of things. But the the, the, the legislation and the government have rigged along with this WHO stuff. And, and it, it, we are really fighting an uphill battle. We're in the fight um, of our lives now, Paul. There's we no doubt about we it. certainly are. But, you know, I'll never give up. I, you know, at the end of the day, death is not... It, it's funny, the, the reason I got in touch originally was the um, the, 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 um, the medium guy. I, said, I think I said in the same email that you picked up on, my parents, were, my grandparents were Christian spiritualists. So I got taken to a spiritualist church when I was about seven or eight years old, and it stuck with me. Um, so... You know, there is a bigger force out there, you know, whether God or the creator or something and, 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 and other dimensions that we're blind to. I really do believe that there is a force. You know, I've had ups and downs in my life. I've, I've stared like, oh, my God, I've got no work. This has happened in the face. It's looking really bad. And something pops up. It always does. There's so I, all in. I can say to people out the final message is, you know, no matter how tough it is, if you if you're sticking to principles and and you can build a bit of a community and find like-minded individuals, you will find that kind of strength to to kind of be an arrow uh, not to be an obstinate, stubborn. I'll never let these bastards get me down, and I don't care if 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 if, if I got too Larry and. And if you know they could send someone around from MI6 to uh, to, to 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 bump you off, you know, <laughs> I don't care, you know. So I, I'm I'm nobody. Nobody's it's a brilliant optimistic message, me. Paul. It's brilliant. Great yeah. to meet you, and thanks Stick for sharing your, your story with us. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for t- having me. Um, and um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of the show and other callers. So thanks, thank Paul. You. Lovely to meet you. That was Paul there. I should have asked um, Paul where he called in from. Uh, but I didn't. I believe that John, in, in or not John, uh, Jim in Indiana is next. Let's get Jim from Indiana on. This is uh, Wednesday's Richie Allen Show, the global phone-in. Call me via Skype chat with Richie or 0161818 That is the uh, 0161818 That's the, the UK number. It's plus 441618120. Uh, one eight. I've said it all wrong, haven't I? Shouldn't I just play it again? Yeah. It's your call. I'm a muppet. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And we've got Jim in Indiana. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, glad to get through and, and talk to you for once. It's a uh, pleasure, Jim. What 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 what's it looking like in in Indiana today? I'm guessing it's hot. It's damn hot. Uh, yes, it's uh, about 95 degrees outside Fahrenheit. Fantastic, and we're complaining here because it's 82 degrees Fahrenheit. What a <laughs> bunch of wimps we are over here, uh, Jim. Great to chat with you, my friend. What would you like to say? Well, I'd like to speak with you a little bit about the uh, gun control laws over here in the United States and where they originated from. Yeah, we're fascinated by this. You know that the UK is is a country where private citizens are not, they're not likely to own a gun. Um, I know it's the Second Amendment right there in the United States. I have great respect for it. I know that, you know, lots of people, particularly in the South, um, have a gun and I know that uh, there are people who are very fearful at the moment that the government is using 
um, shootings uh, in certain parts of the country to justify coming for people's guns. I'm going to shut up and let you tell me what you think about it. Well, uh, first of all, I guess on how the government might use the shootings, uh, it, we've all heard of MK Ultra, uh, the CIA, uh, traumatic mind control. And I, while they, they state that that program was closed down years ago, I don't really believe that they leave anything out of the toolbox when it comes to setting an agenda. So, yeah, I, I believe some of that, maybe not all of it. I, I really don't have any way of confirming one way or the other. But I believe there is some sort of uh, Manchurian candidate, as you put it, out there that, that's uh, being used for such things. And Jim, that would make, if a shooter was a Manchurian candidate, that would make the shooter almost as much a victim as the people that are killed, right? Uh, yes, there's no doubt about that. I, I believe that 100%. Uh, I think anybody, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to paint a broad stroke here, but anybody that's controlled through propaganda, mind control, gaslighting, whatever, I think they're, they're victims. Uh, I myself was a victim of the propaganda and gaslighting, you know, that went along with the news that all through my life, I, you know, I grew up uh, in, in the early 60s and 70s. And so the Vietnam War propaganda was always a machine that was working. Uh, you know, and I come to find out later after they declassify everything that it was all based on a lie and pretty much everything that has followed during my lifetime has come out to be based on a lie. And Jim, would your family have had a young man that went to Vietnam or would you have had neighbours? I mean, it sounds like you were too young to be drafted, but would there have been people in the family, men that were sent out there? My older brother he's 10 years older than I am. And, uh, he went ahead and joined the military at the age of 18. And his unit was actually called up to go to Vietnam. But, uh, coincidentally, there was a hijacking over in Jordan that, uh, he got detoured to. And so his unit ended up in Jordan and then later ended up in Mainz, Germany. So he didn't have to go to Vietnam. Did, did he now think? He, did he think later on that he was very lucky? Oh yeah, uh, he had uh, two brother-in-laws from his wife that uh, ended up going to Vietnam. Both of them returned home. Uh, one of them was pretty messed up in the head from it. Uh, you know, to look at him, he was uh, physically well. Uh, but he had problems mentally that he just couldn't, uh, deal with, you know, throughout the course of his life. And he, he died rather young. I, I say rather young, but I'd say when you're 54, 55 years old, that's very that's young. young. He must've seen some horrible things, Jim. I, I'm sure he did. I, I'm sure anybody that's in, in any of the wars that's gone on, uh, regardless of, whether they're the UK, US military, 
Middle East militaries. I, I'm sure they've all seen horrific things, and I can't imagine being in that situation myself. Me neither. Can I ask you a question before you talk about gun laws? Sure. This is a question that's puzzled me for some time. In the late 1970s, maybe I'm wrong, the mid to late 1970s, there was a wonderful backlash against the government because of, the, as you said, the declassification of files. People began to understand that the Vietnam War was based on a pack of lies. Now, this is what I don't understand, Jim. M- many of those people, or most of them, would have been alive when, in the early 2000s, when the US went into Afghanistan and Iraq. And I don't understand why so many of those people swallowed the Iraq lies. They were old enough to remember the Vietnam lies. And this is something that has plagued me. Why were they so willing to believe Saddam was crazy and we have to go to Iraq when, you know, they should have been on high alert, you know, thinking back to the lies about Vietnam? I suppose it's complicated. Do you have any idea why they swallowed all of that? I, I can only draw on my own experience. Uh, you know, my eyes kind of got opened up uh, back when there was a, a an incident known as Ruby Ridge. Oh, yeah. Where the Randy Weaver family uh, were set up by the FBI and uh, two of the family members were murdered. And that kind of really struck a note with me because here these are American citizens and the FBI is set up around their house with snipers and actually kills Randy Weaver's wife while she's standing in the doorway. Jim, do you want me to give a 30 to 40 second summing up of that case? Because I remember it so well. Just for our listeners, because this is hugely important. And then you okay. come back and tell me. Jim is talking about a man called Randy Weaver, who I interviewed years and years and years ago. And I enjoyed interviewing him. He Randy was a bit of a contrarian. He he liked to argue. He liked to come to converse and meet people with different opinions and ideas uh, to his. And he hung out for some time with some guys that were described as white supremacists, um, just for the arguments and for the conversations and for the company. He didn't agree with a lot of what these guys were saying. But someone in the ATF or the FBI. They asked Randy, would he spy on these guys? And Randy said, no, he was disgusted. He said, absolutely not. And they said, we insist that you spy on these people. He said, no. So they did a very dirty thing. A short time later, one of these guys, undercover, an undercover FBI agent, asked Randy to saw a shotgun for him. But he asked him to saw it just below the legal level or the legal length. So Randy did anyway. Next thing, Randy was under arrest and they said, we're arresting you for illegally sawing this shotgun too short. Now, we can put you on trial and we can, uh, you know, charge you and give you a criminal conviction or you can do what you're told and go and spy on these American citizens who haven't broken the law. And Randy said, "Um, go to hell. And he took his family up the mountain to a cabin that they owned and said that he'd had enough of corruption and society and harassment by the police and he brought his family up there, three children, I think, and his wife, Vicky. And as Jim told you there, he was followed up the mountain, surrounded by ATF agents, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, the FBI, and they shot his young son dead in the back. About 18 hours after that, they shot his wife in the face while she was holding their baby daughter, Rachel. 
And it was only eventually an ex-Marine called Colonel Bo Greitz, was it, um, uh, Jim? Colonel Bo Greitz or Bo Gritz, who was able to defuse the situation and escort yeah. Randy, his dead wife, his dead son and his daughter down the mountain. This, this um, Was this before Waco or after Waco? I can't remember. Before, I think, was it? It, it, it was after. before. Before, yeah, before. Yeah, one and of then, the most, and that must have had some effect on you, uh, Jim. I mean, for an American citizen to see the government doing that to a guy like you, you know, a regular guy, that sends shockwaves through people, doesn't it? Sure, it does. And it kind of made me wake up and, and pay attention to what might have been actually what I thought was going on. And then Waco happens, and it's a. Uh, Two years later, not quite two years, one and a half years later, and uh, so they go in there, and I think this was 1993, and on April 19th, 1993, they went in, and after a standoff, just sent a, a flame-throwing tank in and busted down the front of the their so-called compound, which was their home. Yeah. And... Uh, killed, I believe, 84 people all said and done in that massacre. And while there was a great deal of stink raised about it, it still came to really no end as far as these people, you know, no justice was found for those people. And then two years to the day after that, they have uh, the Oklahoma bombing. And then you see half of a building or the face of a building blown off and you start hearing different things. And I, I, I did a little bit of research. The Internet was limited at the time and I wasn't a computer guru or geek or anything like that. But after, you know, two or three years after that, I started getting information on, you know, things that didn't fit and there's these other guy, this other guy that was in the van supposedly, and uh, they just happened to be doing a uh, bomb squad drill right across the street that morning. And then I hear no ATF agents are in their office that day from a person that survived the bomb. And her testimony was that no ATF agents came into their office and none of their children were at the uh, daycare center on site. So that all sounded uh, a little more than just fishy. And they executed Timothy McVeigh for this, so we'll never be able to hear what Timothy McVeigh really has to say about it. He he was actually uh, put to death, uh, supposedly, without witness over at a facility in Terre Haute, Indiana. That's right. Nobody was there to see it happen, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, so they, all of these things happen so close together, Jim. I'm just mindful of the time and I'm getting backed up with lots of callers. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, so, when, when these things happened, do you... I, I, this is a silly question for me to ask you because you probably won't know, uh, not because there's anything wrong with your mind, but it's hard to know the answer. But I, I would guess that gun ownership definitely was on the increase after these things. When, when American citizens saw these things happening to their own, to their own 
kind to their own countrymen, their own patriots. It must have inspired people to pick up, um, you know, the phone or to go down to the gun store and buy a gun. I would guess so. Yeah, President Clinton put a, a ban on semi-automatic uh, w- rifles while he was early in office. And I think that did indeed trigger a lot of people just getting what guns they could. Uh, and, you know, all of that changed for me. I had this skeptical look about the government, and then I bought into what took place on 9-11-2001. And I think that's, in answer to your question a while ago, I think that's really what, uh, that had that galvanizing effect of a new Pearl Harbor on them. And so they didn't necessarily follow their mind. They, they followed an emotional uh, mindset. And then, it, you know, I understand. It wasn't, it wasn't that anybody was stupid. I understand. And it was such a visual thing. I remember watching it when it happened. I'm sure you remember it as well. It was horrifying. I mean, I fell for it. You know, I broadcast yeah. on the day telling people what was going on, blaming this guy Osama bin Laden. So I totally get that. I, I, I suppose, yeah, that answered that question, why people who knew better, the, the older generation who were, remembered Vietnam, why they, why they fell for it. And, and yeah. Jim, if we could just do a couple more minutes, because I am getting backed up with callers. What, what do you think is likely to happen in the wake of Uvalde? and the supermarket shooting. Do you think there there will be some change to gun ownership laws in the UK? Or do you think that um, the lobby is still powerful enough that there won't be significant changes? What do you think? Well, I think, as with all shootings, uh, you know, right on back to Connecticut there at Newtown and... Uh, the high school shooting down in Florida, uh, the name slips me. But uh, anyway, that, that causes scrutiny, and there's a lot of people that come out, you know, and, and they're against it. But it, it kind of brings me back to the main reason that I wanted to talk to you about that is where the Second Amendment uh, in the Bill of Rights actually came from you know why was it born and that goes back to the declaration of independence of this country and if you read just the first couple paragraphs before you get into all the grievances grievances that are listed you will see that that a people can take only so much suffering and you know, while smaller things must be suffered, when a long train of these sufferings uh, ending up bringing you to despotism, I, I'm, I'm summarizing here, uh, but anyway, they're, they're endowed with the ability to throw off such government and set new guards as they see will be fit for the security of them, their lives and their rights. And that's really, even though the Declaration of Independence didn't have a Second Amendment in it, that was what 
the Second Amendment was born that out was of. That was what it was. It was about to prevent the kind of lurch towards tyranny that yes. we're seeing now. This is the well-regulated militia. The people should be able to protect themselves against this. And that's that's at the, the, the crux of it, isn't it? That's at the heart of the whole thing for most people that, who own guns. Uh, when the when the colonists were, were first uh, ordered to disarm, and I believe the cities were Lexington and Concord up in the New England area, they refused, and those are the first shots of the Revolutionary War, because they wouldn't be disarmed because they would not be without their own security and their own ability to keep what rights they had just recently won by being in the new world. Yeah. And, uh, but that's basically it, Richie. It, it, it's a pleasure talking to oh, you. It's a pleasure talking to you, Jim. I'm thrilled to meet you. And thanks for the history lesson. And thanks for talking to us about Vietnam. It's important that people remember what happened after Vietnam, that the people yeah. stood up and said, enough of this nonsense invading countries overseas and putting Americans in harm's way. But if the propaganda continues and if it's powerful enough, people can kind of forget these lessons, uh, uh, Jim. A brilliant call, Jim. Really lovely to meet you. An honour. Thank lovely you. Lovely to meet you too, fella. And God bless. And stay in touch with us, Jim. That was Jim there in Indiana talking about gun laws and we kind of segued off, didn't we? That was uh, me segueing off into, uh, into Vietnam there. It's uh, Wednesday's programme. Uh, John is in Austin in Texas. John, it's been a long time since we've heard from you. How are you? I think John is Hello, in Austin. Hello, Richie. Hello. Hello. Oh, I ock the new. How are you? I'm not too bad, mate. Uh, yeah, that that joke you told right at the start, the masturbation joke. Terrible. I read that in a Willie Nelson book called you know, Willie Tower Nelson of Willie. Book. I thought it was I thought it was older than that, to be honest. Oh, it probably is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, if it's sweltering in Indiana, ninety-five, I think Jim said, it can't be uh, any better there in Austin. What's it looking like there, my friend? Well, according to my computer screen, we're 88 at the moment. That's not bad. A nice, cool 88. But, yeah, it's, it'll be over 100 before the, before the day's out. But um, I wanted to talk about spiritualism, Richie. That's what I wanted to talk about last time I got through to you, but I got diverted by a previous caller and ended up talking about the, the cops turning into the Darth Vader brigade after that protest in London back in the yes. 90s. yeah. Hey, anyway, listen, let me um, let me let me segue you again for thirty seconds before we will talk. I'll make sure we talk about spiritualism. You're in Texas. What's the mood? I know you probably you're probably hundreds of miles away. Maybe you're not. What what has been the mood in your part of the world after the Uvalde shooting? Do you hear much about it? Well, only only on the radio, uh, which I don't listen to a lot. Actually, my day consists of listening to you show, and then I'll listen to it again because there's nothing else worth listening to. I give over. Then well, No, thanks. I'm serious, mate. I'm bloody serious. Then Michael Rivero's show comes on at 3 o'clock my time. I don't listen to the first hour. I listen to the second hour to hear the callers. And it's like that. Remember the movie they made about Howard Stern and Ned Beatty was in the boardroom with all these guys saying... Why, why do so many people listen to this guy? And some, somebody says, well, to hear what he's going to say next. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I listen to Rivero's show, to hear these callers, because, God forgive me, Richie, about 75% of them are as thick as shit in the neck of a bottle. 
<laughs> but it and sounds un, it sounds un, funny. You, you know, the, the last the last day you had a phone and you had Mike Rivera on as your guest earlier on, and I was sitting here thinking, you know what? If I'm lucky, I get to speak to Richie three, maybe four times a year. And on Rivero's show, I've got to listen to these same toss pots every bloody day. <laughs> and they call it the other shows on the network as well. And the thing that gets me, and this is tied in, Richie, because they, these people, they're, they're devout believers in God and the Bible. And when I hear them, it drives me friggin' nuts. Why? They and claim to be. My, I'll try and tell you my wee story to put it into perspective. Do, and it kinda, we talk spiritualism do you want to say anything, Gun? No, no, not at all. No, I'm saying, and right. we'll talk about well, spiritualism then. Go ahead. It, it begins in Northern Ireland back in 69 when my mommy and my daddy split up and my mommy went home to Northern Ireland. After a couple of months, I decided to go and live with her. And uh, as you know, the troubles were just kicking off then in 69. And uh, I was in Lurgan, which was a pretty close to being a 50-50 split Protestant Catholic town. Um, now, I considered myself pretty lucky in that my father was an orangeman, but I had no desire to be part of anything like that. I did not discriminate against people because they were Catholics. In fact, most of the friends I had in Lurgan were Catholic, and certainly most of the girls I dated were Catholics. It was the factory that I worked in. and um, But I was... I was at home one night after after having dinner, and I must have fallen asleep on the couch. And I remember something happening that was very weird, and I had no idea what it was at the time. And it was only many years later when I was actually here in America, and I was listening to a show called Coast to Coast. And I heard this guy on this night talking about this phenomenon that I realized, hey, bloody hell, that's what happened to me that night. I'd had a, an out-of-body experience. Because I remember I was floating like in the living room, looking down at myself, sitting on the couch asleep. And what was memorable about it was when my, as to use a language this guy used, when my spirit re-entered my body, because I had fallen asleep with my legs crossed, my right leg just shot up, nearly took my mother's head off, who was sitting just a couple of feet away right. from me. <laughs> right. So anyway, um. The next, the next thing I know is uh, I'm going into the 1980s now and I'd moved to, to London and uh, I was living on this street. It was just behind where the, the headquarters of the FA were at Lancaster Gate there. And uh, I was drinking in this pub. I'd met a fellow, Scott, who lived next door to me and we became buddies and we're, we're drinking in this wine bar downstairs in this pub. And there was a wee girl from Liverpool had just come down and she was working there as a barmaid. And she was taking some photographs and she got the photographs developed day or two later. We're looking at them. And there was this one photograph and there was a big old, what looked like a big old grey puff of smoke. And I was thinking, what the hell is that? So anyway, after a while, I started moving to the, the bar upstairs because they only served Stella Artois Lager in this place downstairs. And after a couple of pints of that, you were on your back, man. <laughs> So I'm drinking in the bar upstairs and getting to know some of the people there. And there was this one little old lady would come in every night. Her name was Jackie. And she was very distinguished looking. You could tell by looking at her that she was very, she'd been a very, really good looking bird when she was younger. Well, it turns out, I don't know if you know that during the Second World War, a lot of the U.S. Air Force planes 
had images of Betty Grable painted on the side of yeah, them. Did yeah. you ever know that? Read that, yeah. Yeah. Well, this woman, Jackie, they used an image of her, I think it was in the Daily Mirror newspaper in a, a cartoon that was a, a motivational thing for the the, the British forces. And uh, then I come to find out her husband had dropped dead in that bar downstairs one night. And that ex- that was his ghost that was caught on that photograph that night because then people started telling me, oh, yeah, he's a bit mischievous because when it's Christmas time and they put decorations up, he'll come in and he'll start messing with the decorations and making them look, you know, do you know what I mean? And this is true now. You're not having me on. This Absol- is no, I'm not having you on, mate. Yeah, no, this is yeah, absolutely yeah. true. Absolutely true. Go ahead. This is fascinating. This this whole ghost thing fascinates me. I when I was younger, I used to go looking for ghosts. Now that sounds stupid. That what I mean by that is, you know, any chance I'd get to go somewhere a bit, uh, you know, a bit uh, grim, a bit scary, a bit sinister cemeteries, even, but even old houses. And for a time, for a very short time. I, I worked very briefly as a night watchman for a couple of bob. I was very young now. I was only 18, 17, 18. I was at uh, uni at the time. And I worked in some really, really spooky places. And I was desperately keen to see something, but, but never did. So it's a phenomenon I've always been interested in. Why, what, you know, and and this, this entity used to move stuff around to be mischievous. It, it, it would move the... the when, they, when they hung Christmas decorations up there just at Christmas time... Um, that that was all I remember, um, but yeah, it was it was because like I never believed in ghosts. No, but when, me neither. When I heard this, when I saw that photograph and then heard that story, I thought, well, it's a bit hard just to dismiss that outright, isn't it? Absolutely. And I'll tell you something yeah. else. You mentioned the out of body stuff there. I read a lot of books on the band U2 as uh, somebody who was a massive fan of the band, and years ago. Uh, a lady from somewhere in Central America gave a head massage to the Edge, the guitar player. And I know you know who the Edge is, but for people who don't know, he's the U2's lead guitar player, their only guitar player. And so, so he was lying on a table and she gave him a massage, this lady. She was a bit of a mystic as well. And he had one of those out-of-body experiences, but he wasn't asleep. He was... Um, I suppose, in a very meditative state as he was being massaged. So anyway, he kept it to himself, but eventually couldn't resist saying something. And on a plane to another city, he mentioned it. And the singer, so Bono, and I think somebody in the crew, somebody high up in the crew, said she had done it to him, to them, and they'd had the same experience. They had felt that they had exited their body and kind of ascended and could see around the room and could see her um, basically touching and stroking uh, their their head. So I suppose there are people listening now who would say crown chakra and stuff mm. like that. You just can't dismiss this. I, well, I don't anyway. As as a rule, I don't. Fascinating. Yeah. So and, you, and this only happened to you the one time, did it? The out of body. Yeah, thing. yeah. So why, the you next, wonder why. Yeah. The next the next thing that happened in, in my journey. I mean, I wasn't on the journey of spiritualism at this point, but this I'm getting close to it. Um. In July of 86 that year, I got my first professional acting gig. I got hired on a tour, a European tour of West Side Story. And I was away for a few months and I found out that my sister had been diagnosed with cancer. She was a couple of years younger than me. And I decided to to come home for a few days to see her. 
and went back. And she died a couple of weeks later, and I, I couldn't make it back again. But uh, a lot of the American, most of the cast in this thing were Americans, and they got to talking to me, and they, they got me onto this, giving me books about spiritualism and stuff like this, and I started reading up on this, and yada, yada, yada. Now, the tour finished, and I came back to London, and maybe about a year later, I found out that my grandmother back up in Scotland was on her deathbed. So jump on a train, go up home for the weekend, and we're there at this rest home visiting with my granny, and I'm standing a few feet away from the bed where she was laying, and I hear my auntie Nan say, who are you talking to, Mum? And my granny says, I'm talking to Myra. And that, that pricked my ears up. That was my sister's name. And my auntie Nan says, Myra's not here. And I said to myself, I didn't say anything out loud, but what I'd read in the spiritualism books was, when someone's about to pass over, there's someone on the other side waiting to guide them through. Which is what and Michael that, said last night to uh, to me, Michael Rachia, yeah. uh, the medium. He said that. He, he, he referenced uh, an Indian guide, somebody in the, I don't know, the middle world or the other world, who would um, guide souls that were passing over. And I think he mm -hmm. mentioned a lake and a boat and all of that. D yeah. Did you hear any of that and what did you think of it? I did, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I just I ag agreed with that. I didn't agree with a lot of what he was saying because... I, I don't believe this uh, what Christianity is telling people, but it just it, there's a show that comes on one of the networks here. It's actually based in Austin, this network, and I used to be kind of connected with them. And I started. There's a guy that I used to be very very good friends with. Actually, he comes on a Thursday night about six o'clock. Well, at five o'clock, I stop listening to Michael Rivero at five, so I, I flick over to this other station. And they're having a replay of a show called um, Spirit. What the hell is it called? Uh, oh God Almighty, I've forgotten. Oh, Scripture, Scripture talk with Nana, and it's this young woman, and she'll have somebody on, and they'll be going through the Bible, reading various chapters and books and what have you. And I sit here listening to this, I think, what a load of garbage this is! Utter garbage. But why, why are you so certain that it's garbage? This is what I don't understand. I, I looked at the comments that came in after Michael was on last night. About 75% of people were very um, warm and receptive to what he was saying. Uh, about 25% said, I, I'm, I'm not buying any of this. I, I'm open-minded. It, it, I, I don't have any, how do I put it? I don't have any... Uh, dog in the fight, like if, if, if listeners like it or they don't like it or they believe it or they don't believe it, that's up to them. I speak to people who I believe to be sincere, and I think he's sincere. But but uh -huh. how how could we know that it's garbage? Why are we so? And I I include well, I just, myself I just, in that. I just try I try and apply common sense to what I hear them say. Richard, this just past couple of weeks they've been talking about the Book of Job, and uh, Bible, at one yeah. point they were saying how Job had done something to piss God off and God had struck his 10 children dead. Yeah, I don't but buy... Late, I, yeah, okay, I'm with you. Later there. on, he, he gives the children back or he gives them 10 new children. And then there was another another point in the conversation where uh, Job was being annoyed by two guys and God happened to notice this. And I'm thinking, hang on, 
God's sitting up in heaven looking at how many millions of people on down here on earth, and he happens just to pick up on these two guys who are getting on Job's tits. It just makes no bloody sense right, so, to so, me. So you're saying that that quite possibly these stories are metaphorical by, by, by their nature, and yet we still have people who take them as if they, no pun intended, their gospel, who take them as literal. Yeah, so these things this happen. Is, this, is, this is what I don't get. As you, yeah, you've nailed it. They take it as gospel, yeah. and I just, I, I just don't buy it Jacob, at all. Jacob had a wrestling match with an angel. Uh, that's another yeah. one I, I remember from, from school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've actually just... I've but they're harmless though, aren't they? I mean, I mean the, the people who, who would read the Bible and believe its chapter and verse, I suppose ultimately most of the people I've met who go down that road are generally pretty nice people. And uh, if, if somewhat eccentric, maybe, I think they're fairly harmless. What do you think? Yeah, um... But it's, I, I think they're just, they're taught from childhood, you yeah. know. Um, I remember I remember being forced to go to Sunday school by my old man, and we got this new guy showed up as a, a Sunday school teacher. I'll never forget him. His name was Harvey Stalker. Well, Great lo and name. behold, I'll go to start a new year at high school. I think it was the second year. And he shows up there as a new maths teacher. And at the end of the first term, I knew, I knew nothing about algebra. wasn't interested in it whatsoever and got lousy marks. And he wanted to punish me. He wanted to hit me with a leather belt because I got bad marks in algebra. And I thought, well, you're some man of God. You, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, hey? yeah. Anyway, um, let me just try and get, spare, get on here. Spare um, the rod, spoil the child. I am backed up with calls now. I know, We've been so chatting for over a I'm, quarter I'm, of an I'm, hour. Go on. I'm getting near the end. Um, now, um. In 2005, my, my mother died. Um, and about two or three months later, after she had died, I was I was working on this house. I was painting this big house outside of Boston. And I had a bad fall. I, the, my ladder went from underneath me, and I went off the edge of this house. And I fell about somewhere between 15 and 20 feet, and I landed right on my head. I split my skull open. It took... 12 staples they put in it when they got me in hospital. And I thought after that, now 99.9% .9 of people would have died from that fall. Why did I survive? And I believe that was my mother's spirit that saved my life that day. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't your mother's spirit, so don't jump all over me and get on a plane from Austin to, uh, to solve it. <laughs> But there are those who take the Bible literally and they might say to you, well, John, you're just guilty now. You're just as guilty as we are um, in terms of, you know, your dogma because you don't have any hard evidence to support the notion that your mum was there with you to prevent you from slipping over to the, to the other side. No more than we have evidence that Jacob wrestled an angel. But it's a leap of faith that we're both taking, they might say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I just happened to believe that because yeah. I... Uh, because you felt like, it, right? You felt there was something happening. Like I say, 99.9% .9 of people would have died from a fall like yeah. that. And why Why did I not? I know. Um, well, the, ma the mathematician would say because 0.001% survive and that just might have been you. But listen, I'm not... Dis I'm, I'm, as you probably are aware, I am totally down with the idea that um, 
your 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 mother um, was looking out for you. I, of course I am. I'm certainly not dismissing that as a possibility. Yeah. It's frustrating. What I find frustrating, somebody said to me recently, why don't you do as much of the esoteric conversations as you promised you would do? And there are many reasons for that. You get swamped with uh, hard news, number one, uh, coverage. But number two, the frustrating thing for me is, is the not knowing. I mean, we can discuss and it's interesting and fascinating and mind-blowing at times, but we're never going to know. Liam Gallagher once, um, or was it Noel, said to, uh, to Bono, Bono's old man, here's another Bono story, his old man was uh, slipping away with cancer, his old man Bob. Bono was like, I never had much of a relationship with him. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough and all of that. And in the course of the conversation, Noel Gallagher said to him, well, he's one step closer to knowing now. And that's mm -hmm. the thing, really. Un until we get to the precipice where we are about to, where the physical body is about to expire, it's just speculation. It's like people who come back and talk about the near-death experiences. A guy wrote a very famous book, didn't he, one time, that everybody read a doctor who was very cynical about stuff like this. But then he had his own near-death experience and came back and wrote a book about it that is supposed to be a wonderful read. We just don't bloody know. And that's frustrating for me. I'd love yeah. to know, but we won't know yeah. until the end, you know. I've just got one more to finish off. Go ahead, John. Wait a second. I, I, I remember you saying last week or the week before that you, you don't remember many dreams. No, but you know what? Since I said that, there's something in the ether. Since I said that, I've had a couple of vivid dreams. Nothing serious, but I've had a couple <laughs> of vivid dreams. Funnily enough, ironically, go ahead. Well, back 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 in the nineties, uh, I remember waking up one morning and I thought, "Oh, I just dreamt about my auntie Betty there." Now, my auntie Betty was a great auntie. She was my grandmother's sister, and I used to see her a lot in the sixties when I used to. What I used to do, I'd go ice skating in Falkirk Ice Rink every Saturday, three sessions. And I'd go over to my granny's house after the afternoon session because it was a couple of hours before the nighttime session. And all the, her family would be there in the house having tea and what have you. And it was great to see them and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, I moved away, of course, and I hadn't seen my Auntie Betty for yonks. And I thought, why the hell have I just dreamt about my Auntie Betty? And at the weekend, I'm phoning my mum, as I always did. And uh, she told me, yeah, your Auntie Betty, she died the bloody night I dreamt about her. And a while later again... One of her brothers, my uncle Bill, the same bloody thing happened. I dreamt about him, and he had died that night. It's so, impossible. No, it's impossible to rule that out as coincidence. You can't say that's coincidence. I don't buy into that. I, I'm with you. There's something going on there. On some energetic level, I think some of our friends, people like Peter Ebden, like Mark, they'd say that on some energetic level, you know this. You know mm. at the time they're, they're passing. I, I hope we get another call on this line, on on this subject before we run out of time tonight. Great yeah. to hear from you, pal. Love hearing from all you, All right, John. mate. All the best, Richie. All the best for now. John was obviously Scottish, but he's, uh, well, he's half Scottish, half Irish. He's in uh, Austin, Texas. That's where he is. Hence me asking him earlier on about the uh, temperatures there. Uh, the time is coming up for... Uh, 28 minutes to the top of the hour. This is your, it's got to be your, there's only your, Richie Allen Show. I'm going to take a tune and then we're back with more. You can't touch this. Because you know, you can't touch this. Right, MC Hammer, you can't touch this. I think 1990, forgive me if I'm a year out, I think. We're uh, to the mobile phones. Caller, welcome to the programme. Who am I speaking with? 
Well, it, well, you said, well, I wasn't going to call in, but you said um, to the last um, caller, uh, anybody's had that kind of mad experience. It's Rude Boy Marcus. How you doing, bro? Marcus, I'm, right? I'm not going to let you talk, mate, because you're on last time. You're going to have to forgive me yeah, for that. I, I, I'm I backed up with calls. Thanks, Marcus. And last time he was on, he was a bit pissed, I think, and a bit rude. But then he's called Rude Boy Marcus, isn't he? Caller, welcome to the programme. Who am I speaking with? Hello, Richie. This is Julian. We We spoke... A long time ago when I came back from Syria. That's and, right, uh, Julian. Now, it's a proper long time ago. I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah, I do remember now. Uh, we're, we're looking at about two years, Marcus. Uh, uh, yeah. Julian, I reckon. Um, nice to speak with you again, pal. Go ahead. Over to you. Lots, lots has happened in that time. I've had a baby son. I've got married. Not necessarily in that order. And well, congratulations. Congratulations. You. you can probably... You'll hear the Teletubbies in the background. He loves the Teletubbies. Uh, uh, in, does uh, little Dawood. Um, generations. Hopefully he'll be, generations hopefully of he'll children. be bilingual. We've got Arabic and English uh, language at home. Fantastic. So, so he's, he's got, hearing you've both. You've got to see someone's face if you want to learn the language, don't you? You do, of course, don't you? Absolutely right. Yeah. Julian, yeah. The, the, the floor, as you know, is yours. What would you like to say, mate? Go ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to pick up on two great guys for the esoteric stuff. You mentioned one recently, uh, Jordan Maxwell, may he rest in peace. Amen. And same again for Kev Baker. I'm sure you know who Kev Baker is. I didn't have much uh, time for him, to be honest, but I, I knew who he was, yeah. But, okay, yeah. Be, well, another big, big name. And I think sure he, he went a down the route of esoteric stuff because it's less likely to get you cancelled, maybe. I don't know. Do you think so? Uh, I would think so, but... Um, well, what can you do? I think he still—he was still sent to death, or he—he he was demonetized. I remember when that happened. For what? You, you don't know what to say uh, sometimes. And as you know, I upload content myself to both YouTube and TikTok now, and it's interesting to see the different. I get penalised for different things on the different platforms. Is that right? TikTok is massive, yeah. isn't it? And it's particularly massive, I think, amongst. Uh... Let's let's say teenagers. They love TikTok, yeah, don't they? Much young, younger audience. The views. It's much easier to get views and followers on there. I, I did a little thing about uh, Preeti Patel being a hypocrite, uh, having family that uh, fled Uganda and now uh, sending families uh, to Rwanda. A little bit crazy. That went viral unexpectedly. Did it now? Uh, so and and, and and that's a fair comment, by the way. And was was it was it left um, standing? Was it left up there? That that was left standing, but then other simple videos. I, I touched upon the recent so-called blasphemous film, Lady of Heaven. Not saying anything uh, it's controversial, really, and it got taken down for so-called bullying. I think it might be artificial intelligence making the decision. Right? Yeah, bots as, as we call it. Insane. Uh, I mean, for a company that big with that many views, I think it would have to be. A human, you wouldn't have time no. to let human beings. I agree with you. This is this uh, is what the they way call. We're going. Yeah, it's what they call algorithms. And it's, it's yeah. your your wife is Arabic, then. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sarah's from Yemen. From Yemen. And I'm Irish origin. Never forget it, despite my accent. Um, and, and tell me this, got Julian. A multicultural family. And tell me this. Um, and again, congratulations. Tell me this. So she's from Yemen. Um, mm -hmm. We know it's been a terrible place. Uh, to, to be for, for most of the last few years it's been pounded yeah. and bombed by uh, the, yeah. Sa the, the Saudi despots um, would yeah. your wife have family there how, how does she feel about all of that yes uh, we, so I had uh, family in Yemen but also in Saudi Arabia a lot of them made their way 
to Saudi Arabia before moving on. I think Yemen was already possibly not, if not, if not an unsafe place, a poor country. And, you know, people leave poor countries. Ireland has been an exporter of people more than any other country uh, as well. Uh, there's that sense that you have to go and seek a better life elsewhere. Yeah. We're here now, but home is where the heart is. And I want my little boy to know that he's got two other heritages and, and be in touch with that and, and celebrate that. And absolutely, why not? Why not, Julian? And I, I ask this every time I speak to somebody who, who who's kind of in the know. They have to be in the know. I mean, if I meet somebody who's just had a child or has just welcomed a child, and if they're not in the know about Agenda 30, 2030, the Great Reset, there's no point in asking this question. You're in the know. Do you worry about the future for your, for your lad? I do, I, I do, Richie, and you know every every now and then I get the the world map out and I try and think where would be safe, where would be good, would it be the Middle East? I've looked at Zanzibar, um, I've looked at a few places, um, Morocco. I don't know, somewhere nice, nice and calm and and quiet. I, I you know I've been thinking about that recently as well. Mark Windows was telling us he was in Bulgaria and uh, he's been there for some months now, Mark, maybe even a bit longer, maybe a year. And he was very fond of the place and he's talked it up and it got to me to thinking if the, you know, the shite ever really does hit the fan, where might you relocate your family to where it might be a bit freer? And then a part of me, and I don't want to be negative and I don't want to be putting a big downer on the conversation, a part of me thinks the, the, the plans are for everybody and for every country. And maybe in the future there won't be any you know, safe haven around the world, uh, Julian. But again, I don't say that to be, you know, to be negative or to, uh, to, 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 to bring you down. I just It's something that's been on my mind as well. We've got each other, Richie. If we stick together, we can have a community... Uh, anywhere in the world. I hope so. The thing is, we're scattered to the four corners of the earth, you know, people who understand what's happening. Like, you take any community. I live in Salford. You know, you live where you live. Friends of mine live in Ireland and they're awake to it. But they're surrounded by people on their own streets who have no idea what's happening. Genuinely have no idea, Julian. They're oblivious to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're more worried. Negative Nelly here. yeah, no, it's all right, Richie. Uh, it's a reality check, but we've got to stay positive. Positive energy. Absolutely right. And congratulations. You said your wife's name is Sarah. You, yeah, that's right. And what, what, what do you call the boy? Uh, little, that's little Dawood, which is the Arabic version of David. Oh, I love David Dawood. was my fa- late father. He, he missed out on uh, meeting his grandson by a couple of years. So we, we honoured him with that, with uh, the Arabic version of his name. That's lovely. And how old is he now? So I would, I'm still counting it in months, uh, but I'm not good at maths. He turned one in February. Brilliant. So he's, he's what, one and a half. And is he big? Is he mousy? Is he, has he got a lot to say for himself he, already? Yeah, he's a, big, he's a big fat boy and he good loves the Teletubbies and he likes uh, slapping things. Fantastic. And we, we, we love it. And I'm blessed. I've got, I've got an amazing stepdaughter as well, uh, who's uh, 12 going on 21. And is an amazing, amazing babysitter. So I'm very lucky. Julian, lovely to, to hear from you again. I can't believe it's been a couple of years since uh, we heard from you first. And I'm thrilled for all your good news. Really am. Thank you, Thank you Richie. Thanks, Fine Julian. Bye for now. Julian there.
um, who we heard from a couple of years ago. And I know this because on the the, the call, the, the system I have here, it tells me it was back in uh, 2020. That's right. Around about the summertime, so a couple of years. Uh, the time is 18 minutes to the top of the hour. Let me do what I should have done some time ago. Let me read some of your, your comments. I solicit your comments, so the least I can do is to read them. To uh, comment on the programme, just go to richieallen.co.uk. It's comment. Life couldn't be any easier. Right. Good job. Yes. Uh, I wasn't being hard on, on, on old Marcus there. Um, he did get through last time. I, I, I like to do to not do that thing that that um, John talked about that does happen on other phone-in shows. Um, this show has a big audience, a very, very big audience. And I like that to be reflected in the callers. I like to hear from new callers. It's not to say you can't ever call in again, but it sounds very, I don't know if parochial is the right term to use. It sounds very small when you hear from the same people over and over again. And uh, Marcus was three sheets to the wind last time he called in. And I said nothing because it was the end of the programme. But don't phone the programme if you're pissed. Don't drink and dial because um, it's, just, uh, it's just not kosher is the, is the term. Faisal says he's mostly sceptical about this type of thing. But he's had some weird stuff happen to him all the same. Best thing he ever read on such matters was Rupert Sheldrake on morphic resonance which I'm most inclined to keep an open mind on, says Faisal. I have to say, nothing spooky, nothing has ever happened to me like that, you know, like an out-of-body experience, like um, being in the presence of something, nothing. When we were young, we, when we were young, when I was 13, 14, I was hanging around with some guys. I, 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 had, I, I had grown up in Ballybeg, and when we were 12, 13, when I was 12, 13, we moved from Ballybeg in Waterford. If you're curious, dear listener, if you're living in Canada or if you're living in Indiana like Jim, you can use the maps on the internet to see pretty much where I grew up. It's Waterford. It's a city in, in, in Ireland, in the southeast of Ireland. So I grew up in Waterford. So I was born in Ballybeg. I was born in a hospital near Ballybeg. I was raised in Ballybeg. And then when I was 13, my family moved away from Ballybeg to... Uh, to a place called Belvedere Drive, sounds very posh, on Browns Road. And um, so there uh, I went to high school or secondary school. I went to St. Paul's Community College and I met some guys there in my first year, new friends, and they were head cases. They were, they were lovely lads. They were into heavy metal and stuff at the time. So they're into Ozzy Osbourne at the time, Alice Cooper, Metallica, which is a bit heavier, Iron Maiden and stuff like that. They're good lads. And they were into the Stephen King horror books as I was. I read pretty much every one of Stephen King's books in my early teens, including It. I think somebody mentioned It. Was it Craig who mentioned It on the chat some time ago? And one of the lads had a, a proper Ouija board, not a hastily constructed one that you use with bits of paper in your house but an actual board that had been made by a company and we sat down and it's a great you know it's funny years later I met a, I met an exorcist called uh, Father Vince Lampart uh, Vince is based in New York I'm going to invite him on the programme again he's a lovely lovely gentleman he is the only Vatican authorised exorcist in the United States of America. And I interviewed Vince first. Let's see the way I'm jumping around here now. 
before I talk about Vince, I, we got nothing out of the Ouija board. Nothing. And we took it fairly seriously. We put it down. We sat around. There was no drink involved. We were uh, 14 years old at the time. There was no drink uh, at all at the time. And we sat down and we thought, right, we're going to summon some spirit from somewhere. There was four of us. I can remember the guys' names, but I won't mention them just in case they don't want to be mentioned. We sat down. We had our Coca-Cola or whatever it was. We had our popcorn. We had our bars of chocolate. And we sat down and we said, right, we're going to try and do it. After a little bit of giggling, we got serious. And I don't think the, the what would you call it? The, 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 the thing that moves. On screen, it's a cursor. What would you call it? The pointer. I don't think the pointer moved. Now, years later, I met an exorcist. I met him on the internet and I invited him to do a television interview with me and he did. And I did the television interview and it was, it was memorable because at the end of the interview, the programme ended and the credits, uh, the director called for the credits and David Icke came running into the studio and gave me a bear hug. And I said, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And he said, the interview you did with The Exorcist, he said, was, was brilliant. And I said, well, so you, you're not interested in organised religion. Well, well, you are, you've researched it, but you're not, you don't go along with organised religion. And he said, no, but the guy, you asked the guy to describe the, ex the exorcism and he did, the priest, and he talked about pulling the negative entity out through uh, the top of the person's head and it was something that uh, David I could witness himself somewhere many years ago and he was really happy about this. But anyway, the I asked the exorcist, the priest, are these harmless enough things, these Ouija boards and, and, and the like? And he said, no, they're not. They're not harmless. And you can get into serious trouble using a Ouija board and you can end up having a very negative encounter with a negative entity or, or energy that can be very harmful for you and for the people around you. And he's very serious about this. And I was a bit sceptical. I did my, did my job, you know, I said, give over, you know. I said, it's a toy, they sold them in toy stores. And he said, yeah, and he believed that there was an agenda. He believed that there was a reason they sold them in toy stores, and that was to corrupt children, to mess with the minds of children. It's a Catholic priest now, really engaging guy, not given the sorts of answers you wouldn't normally expect to get from a, a Catholic priest. But I've never had any experience of anything. You know, I was in um, an iron foundry late one night when I was uh, 18 years old, a big old factory, big old foundry. And it looked to me very much like the boiler rooms of the Elm Street movies. And I was walking around it with a big torch to basically keep an eye out for people who would break in and try to steal stuff in the middle of the night, which was daunting enough in any case. But I was petrified because of the atmosphere of the place, because it was three o'clock in the morning and it was pitch black and... You know, the torch was even spooky. Just the, the, the light generated by the torch was creating all these shadows to the sides, which I thought were moving and absolutely crapped it, really. But no, I've never experienced anything. I think I'd like to experience something. I think I'd like to. I think I've probably crapped myself in any case. But I, I'd like to have that experience. When Sky started to show all of the most haunted television series, which turned out to be fake, uh, Derek Akora and some woman I think called Yvette Fielding would visit some of the UK's most reputedly most haunted reputedly most haunted buildings and they would go around them and Derek Akora would um, I never met Derek Akora so and I know I think he's passed away 
So I might be accused now of being unkind to him. But um, he said he had a spirit guide, guide, I think he called Sam. And then he would go to these very haunted places and he would tell the presenter, Yvette Fielding, that he had just encountered a spirit. And they would hear noises and stuff like that. So I was very interested in that stuff. But um, no, I've not had any personal experience. I think we should put aside a phone-in show for, for, for that so we could talk about that. You know, people who... To hear from people who've had experiences, interesting experiences, like uh, some of the ones we heard about this evening. Wayne has been on to say, the Bible is full of wisdom and spiritual truths, particularly the New Testament. He says he's not a Christian any longer, but has read it many times. Certain things have been omitted and altered since the books of the Bible were written originally. So it's been changed, says Wayne. Somebody has said that to me before on the programme, in fact. But if uh, one reads with intuition and discretion, there is much to be gained, he says. And then he talks a little bit about the book of Job. You can interact with people who are leaving comments by going to comment live on richieallen.co.uk. Thank you, Marcus. I appreciate that. Good man. I like that. Uh, Ian says, nothing truer to be said than what Richie said. That's a first, Ian. There's just no way to know until it comes to us in the end. All the fighting and suffering in the name of one truth or another is the great tragedy of our species. Thanks, Ian. But I, but I am fascinated by people like like Michael Rachia. You see, one thing I've learned over the years as a journalist, who was a very wide-eyed and very naive journalist when I started out, but over the years I've become cynical. That's inevitable. I've learned to spot fakes. And I will never interview somebody on the Richie Allen show if I believe them to be fake. Now you might say, well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you bring them on and expose them? And I'll tell you why I wouldn't do that. There was a time when I would do that. I exposed a fake psychic medium on the radio in Spain 11 or so years ago on Talk Radio Europe. I set up a psychic medium I interviewed who who I thought was full of Shiite. And I knew he was full of Shiite. And I knew that um, ahead of the interview, if I changed the information on my Facebook page and edited some posts from last year and 18 months ago, that he would start feeding back to me the bullshit that I had put on Facebook. And he did. And I called him out on air. And I embarrassed him. And he walked off the programme. And that was the last time I I really ever did anything like that. Because I, I, there was nothing really gained by that. You know, because I'm very, very open, remain open, to the possibility that there's far more going on uh, in the unseen than I ever believed. So I never, I don't believe in doing that sort of thing. I wouldn't do it again, is what I'm saying. So I get uh, contacted from people from time to time to say, interview this person. And then I'll have a look at the person. I'll take a good look. And if I get even the sense, now it's got to be more than the sense, that they're not authentic, I'm just not going to invite them on. And I'm certainly not going to invite them on to, to try and embarrass them in some way. Because I don't do that. The mainstream media does that. Tries to humiliate people. I don't do it. And I'll never do it. So, 
the, the people I've had on to talk about spirituality or energy healing, I know, not only do I know that they know or that they believe what it is they are telling me, I know that they have had some success with the practice of energy healing or, or I, I shouldn't say spirituality or mediumship. So that's why. And I don't tell, I don't endorse any of it. I don't say this is true. This guy, um, everything he's telling you is true. I don't do that. I say, have a listen to it. Have a listen. Make your own mind up. It's not something we do often on the show. I, I'd like to do more of it because I'm fascinated by discussing these things. As as much as I'm frustrated that we won't know till the end. <laughs> till the very end. Until we get to the to the door, if it if it if it's a door or or the tunnel, well, this is it now, pal. And then at that stage, I suppose you'll know one way or the other. But I do like talking about it, and I like the people who come on to talk about it. Um, regarding Michael Rachel, what I really like about Michael and uh, the Joseph Communications is they they put out the books, and they've not made any money out of them. They take the money generated from sales into printing more books. And uh, I think that's a good thing. The the better half has just about finished reading the first book of the Joseph Communications. And I said to her, as you do, it's a dangerous thing though. I said this on Sunday morning, Melly, it's a dangerous thing to ask any woman, what is your book about? And gave us some idea because it just never ends. It goes on for hours, you know. But uh, she said to me that she's found it very, very, very interesting. Um, it's opened her mind in certain areas. Uh, she has found things in the book that uh, correlate with ideas that she uh, has about where it's all going or or why we are here and what is possible and what is impossible. So I find that um, fascinating. I haven't gotten around to reading the book yet. I've had a bit of a skim, but, uh, but there you are. It's about time for me to do one, as it were. And... Um, just to let you know, Eric Karlstrom is on the programme tomorrow. Eric Karlstrom. It's been a long time since Eric was on as well. Thanks uh, so much to all of the callers who got through. I really enjoyed speaking with you. We'll do another phone-in very soon. Until tomorrow, Thursday, enjoy the rest of your uh, Wednesday, wherever you happen to be in the world. Look after yourselves and one another. Speak uh, real soon. Closing out with ELO. Closing out with ELO. That's the one.